Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zivyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers, and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Carla Nomberg is back a second time on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for You Are Not a Shitty Parent, How to Practice Self-Compassion and Give Yourself a Break. 
Carla is a PhD and clinical social worker and mother. She's the author of four nonfiction books, including her international bestseller, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, and her most recent title, You Are Not a Shitty Parent. Carla lives outside Boston with her husband and two daughters. Welcome, Carla. Thanks so much for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Last time you were here for how to stop losing your shit with your kids. And now you're here for you are not a shitty parent. So basically this is all to make me feel better about my life and my parenting. Thank you very much for writing <laughs> exactly for me. I wrote it just for you, Zibby. No, no, it's I wrote so it for, for all so of us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This second book came out of COVID. Talk about how this, how you got all of the inquiries about what to do and how you decided to focus more on compassion and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my most recent book before this, How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, came out in the fall of 2019, so just a few months before COVID. And then COVID hit, and we were all stuck in our houses with our kids, trying to do our jobs and not get sick and figure out how to, like, live a life during a pandemic. And perhaps not surprisingly, we were all losing our shit with our kids, right? (laughs) Including me, this person who had just written this book. So I started getting a lot of calls and requests from podcasters and freelancers and folks wanting to write and talk about it. And they were like, tell us what to do. Tell us how to not lose our shit with our kids. And I was like, um, so I wrote this book before the pandemic. <laughs> and maybe during the pandemic, I would have written a book called It's Impossible Not to Lose Your Shit with Your Kids. No, but in all seriousness, so I was like trying to give this helpful advice. But a lot of the coping skills, a lot of the strategies that I talk about in that book just weren't available to us anymore, right? We couldn't connect with our support system in the same way. We couldn't take space from our kids in the same way. We couldn't take care of ourselves in the same way we had. And not only could we not take care of ourselves, we had this like crazy amount of added stress and anxiety and fear. So like everything was worse and we didn't know what to do. But I would get on these podcasts and I would kind of do the best I can, the best I could to, to offer helpful advice. But at the end, I was like, you know what? All we can really do in this moment is have compassion for ourselves, right? There's no fix to this. There's no scenario where you can work a 40-hour week job out of your house and have a three-year-old at home and let that, that, that doesn't work. There's no, it's not possible. And so I really started thinking more about my own self-compassion practice, which I had started prior to the pandemic years ago in an attempt to stop losing my shit with my kids. And that was what led to this book because I was like, I don't want to give parents more advice on what to like do differently. We're all doing as much as we can, the best as we can. What I want to talk to parents about is what to do, how to respond when the world goes to shit and you feel like you're falling apart and there's no good advice out there for you. And that's what this book is about. So no matter how bad a parent you are, you should have compassion for yourself. I am going to challenge the first half of that sentence, Zibby. I don't actually think there's such a thing as a bad parent. Okay. Tell me about that. So I think there are parents who don't parent the way they want to and maybe don't parent in ways that are best for their children. But I'm not. I'm never going to call them a bad parent or a shitty parent because how is that useful? You know, that's like finding someone on a trail who's lost and you hand them a map that says, you're lost and you suck, right? That's not useful. It's not helpful. When you label someone that way, when we label ourselves that way, you just get even more lost and more stuck. So what I think about is that there are parents who don't have the information, support, and resources they need to parent the way they want to. And for some of us, look, that's all of us at some moment in our parenting life, right? Every single one of us lacks the information, resources, and support we need at some point. 
But for some parents, it's all the time. And that deficit is really, really significant. And they need a lot more than other parents. But I don't think there's such a thing as a shitty parent. I don't. Well, that's great. That's good news. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about how to be kind to yourself. What am I? What are parents supposed to do on a day where they feel like everything is out of control and they don't know what to do with their kids? I know you have all these helpful printouts, many of which I felt like I should rip out and sort of put on my wall. Maybe you could start making posters or something like that. I'm just going to show up on the podcast with like it stuck to my forehead like yeah, this, right? You know, um, and, and even reminders, like all your chapters, you're not the only one, the power of connection. How do we connect? How do we love? Leverage our the the support systems that we do have, even if they're not in front of us. Like what it, what can we do to feel better and help ourselves be stronger? So first of all, Zibi, to answer your question, I want to start by getting really clear on what some self compassion is because okay. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings out there. It's just noticing when you're suffering and treating yourself with kindness in response. That's all right? And for so many of us, and I know you can relate to this, I certainly can, we're so busy, right? Rushing through our days, trying to do all the things, trying to be the best parent and the best worker and the best partner if we have a parenting partner and the best person that we can and get all the things done and schedule the appointments and remember the appointments and switch the laundry. I never remember switch laundry. That we kind of either don't notice when we're suffering or we just kind of blow it off. We don't have time for this, right? And that's just not nice, right? That's just not kind. That's not a good, that's not how we would treat the people we love. And yet we do it to ourselves all the time. So compassion is about noticing when we're really suffering or struggling and taking the time to treat ourselves well in response. It's not about making ourselves feel better. You can like, you know, when we're really compassionate and show up for the people we love, sometimes the kindest and most loving thing we can do is just sit with them in the muck, right? We're not saying, Put that smile on your face, like feel better, be happier. That's not, that makes people feel worse, right? So it may not fix our feelings, it may not fix our problem, but it makes everything feel sort of easier and lighter. And it's the difference between being at a job and making a mistake and having a boss who says, well, you're a total screw up, you boffed that, what a loser you are. And having a boss who says, yeah, you made a mistake. We all make mistakes. It's okay. That doesn't mean you're a bad person or a bad employee. And in both of those scenarios, the boss didn't give you the solution. He didn't tell you how to fix it. But the second one feels so much better, right? All of a sudden, you can imagine how you might move forward. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So let's talk about how to practice this. In the book, I outline three sort of core practices, connection, curiosity, and kindness. So there's a bunch of different practices within connection. Some of it is about connecting with the supportive people in your life who love you and will be kind to you. Some of it is about just connecting to the present moment because so often when we get in a shame spiral, our thoughts can get completely out of control. Like our kid has a terrible moment and all of a sudden our crazy brain takes us to this place where they're going to suffer their entire lives. They're never going to be worth anything. They're going to have a horrible life their entire life all because of us, right? When your brain goes to that place, what I want you to do is come back to the present moment. Where am I? What's actually happening in this moment? Take a few deep breaths, and that connection can really slow down that shame spiral. But the biggest connection practice is called connecting to common humanity. And I get this from Dr. Kristen Neff out of Texas. I want to give big props to her for her work. That's just a fancy way of saying, remember that you're not alone. Because I think so often in parenting, when things go wrong, we can land in this place of, I'm the only one who. 
I'm the only one who forgot to put, you know, my kid's lunch in their backpack. I'm the only one who missed the sign up for soccer camp. I'm the only one who screamed at my kid and slammed the door. You're not, right? Not we, I've, I've done all those things. We've all done all those things. And we've all done worse. And even if you are a parent who's like, oh, no, Carla, you have no idea what goes on in my house. I promise you, you're not the only one struggling and suffering through parenting. It is hard for every single one of us, no matter what social media would have you believe. <laughs> so that's the connection piece. Does that make sense? That makes sense. I love it. All right. So, and it can be as simple as anytime you notice yourself saying, I am the only one or everyone else does this better than me, just flip that script and remind yourself, parenting is hard for everyone. And just because it's hard, that doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. That's just the nature of the beast. Parenting is hard no matter how you do it. It's just hard. Yay for that. Okay, so should we move on to curiosity? Let's do it. All right, so so often when we have a bad parenting moment, we jump straight to judgment. My kid screwed up. He's lazy. I'm a terrible parent. I'm getting this wrong. Like, whatever it is, we just label it and we judge it. And again, that just leaves you in a place of feeling stuck, feeling hopeless, helpless, confused. It's not useful. So instead of judgment... Can you get to a place of curiosity? Can you ask yourself, what is going on here? So like the other day, my kid was really struggling with a homework assignment. She didn't want to do it. You know, we had to get it done. I was stressed. But, you know, I was trying to get other things done. And we really got into it. My brain jumped to this place of judgment. She's a lazy kid. She doesn't want to do work. She's never going to figure out this homework. And I am a bad parent because I don't know how to motivate her. That's the judgment piece. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, right, I just wrote a freaking book about this, so I'm going to switch to curiosity. And I was like, what's going on? Okay, she's exhausted. I'm not sure if she got a snack after school. She's worried about applying to high school. Like, all of these things. And so when I understood and had a bigger perspective on what was going on, I was like, oh, my kid's not a lazy jerk, and neither am I. She's having a difficult moment because of all these things going on, so let me get her a snack. Let's talk about, you know, is her concern about this homework related to her concern about high school? We did talk about that. We got a little clarity. I wouldn't say the homework was fun. Let's be clear. It's not like all of a sudden we were like, yay, math problems, but we got through it. Mm -hmm. And the curiosity piece is important for two reasons. One, it can really help you get some clarity on what's going on so you can be more effective in your parenting. But when we're curious with ourselves, and we ask ourselves what we need, we can actually start to take care of ourselves in some pretty powerful ways. And the one thing I will say about curiosity is I don't generally go for why questions. Why did I do that? Why did I scream at my kids? I don't know. I'm having a bad day. The moon is out of alignment. Like my back hurts and I didn't notice it. I mean, if you want to do some why work and some of us need to, that's a great time for therapy, right? That's where you can really dig into the whys. But When you're on your own in the kitchen, it's a busy evening. You're just trying to get through the afternoon as best you can or whatever. Don't dig into the whys because you're probably just going to make up some story that's like, well, I did it because I suck. And that's actually not the vibe we're going for. (laughs) I did, Curia. I I used this technique yesterday, by the way, thanks to you. How'd it go? Yes. My son, who's seven, just does not like to sit down at the dinner table. Like he'll yeah. stand next to his food, but he doesn't like to sit. And every meal I'm like, sit down, sit down, sit down. Finally, last night I was like, so why don't you like to sit? Why do you yeah. prefer to stand? Is it the chair? Like, do you need a, a taller chair? Like, what is it about sitting down at this table that you have an issue with? Tell me about it. Yeah. 
So I tried it. He had no good answer. But at least my husband was like, well, that was good parenting of you. (laughs) And often our kids don't have a good answer. I will tell you that my daughter is 12 and she'll still often eat dinner with like one butt cheek hanging off the chair as if she's got somewhere really important to go. She has no idea why either, but I want you to know, Zibby, you are not alone in this. Sitting still at the (laughs) dinner table is really hard for a lot of kids. And I've mostly come to peace with it. Sometimes I kind of get cranky about it, but mostly I'm like, you know what? If you want to shove your food in your face because you have to race off to absolutely nowhere, knock yourself out, kid. Like, I can't fight this battle right now. I'm fine with it. It's just we only all end up sitting for a short period of time. And I would just like for even five minutes, just like five minutes, just sit down. Just don't stand there. I mean, forget about the fact that by the end of the dinner, literally my daughter was rollerblading around the table. (laughs) Okay. My son was like off dancing somewhere doing whatever. And I was like, tequila? Can I have some tequila, please? <laughs> I want to do kidding, the rollerblading. I have this fantasy about rollerblading. No, but I mean, look, this is how often how our dinner ends with like the three of us, my older daughter, my husband, and myself sitting at the table and our younger daughter doing like some kind of interpretive dance next to the yeah. table for us. Because that's... She's got to move her body. And I'm like, well, at least you can dance for us. And she totally gets into it. And then she ends up on the floor. It always but what, what do you make? I mean, I feel like this is not how I grew up. Like, I was forced to sit at my table. Like, I had to sit. And that's what we did. And I didn't really have a choice. There was no dancing around. And we had, like, courses. Like, how did that oh, even yeah. happen? There was no, there was, you just sat. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but I was, like, scared. Of my, like they would get really mad. Yeah, they would get right? really mad. Yeah. And I didn't want, and getting mad. But like, I get mad I, and nobody cares. Like I get mad yeah. and they still stand up. <laughs> but, and that's all of us, right? That we're, we're a totally different parenting generation with a totally different vibe. And if I had gone back to, you know, 1982 and tried to write a book called How to Stop Losing Your Shit with Your Kids, they would have been like, what are you talking about? I am like, that is my prerogative as a parent. And that doesn't mean they were bad parents. That was the vibe they were in. This is the vibe we're in. And the vibe we're in is, I think we're a lot more concerned about our relationship with our kids. And that's not to say previous parents weren't. Of course they were concerned. Of course they cared about their kids. But I think for the first time in the history of humanity, we're talking more really explicitly in the popular culture about what it means to have a relationship with your kids. And nobody was talking about that in like the 70s, 80s, 90s. It just wasn't a thing. And I think that's a real double-edged sword, right? Sometimes it's really useful and really helpful and really important. And sometimes I think we get, and I use the we because I mean all of us, Zibby, you, me, and everybody listening to this who has kids, we get so worried about how our kids feel that we don't want to say or do things that are going to upset them too much because we're told that we're supposed to be happy right? We live in the happiness culture, happiness classes, happiness books, all the things. And if you're not happy, then you're doing something wrong Mm -hmm. and you need to work harder. You need to make changes. And I think we've kind of brought that to our kids, that it's our job to make them happy. But as I write about in the book, happiness is a feeling and we can't control feelings. I can't make myself happy. I mean, if you were like Carla, I will give you a million dollars if you will feel pure happiness and nothing else for the next 10 minutes. That's an amazing incentive. I can't, I can't make myself do that, right? So, anyways, that's that's you might be happy about the million dollars though. That might carry you over. I am guessing that in that moment, <laughs> within about 30 seconds, I would feel anxious yeah. about screwing it up and not yeah. winning the million dollars. Yeah. 
Right? I would do the same thing. Yes. We just can't force feelings. We can't make ourselves feel certain way. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Which brings me to the third practice of self-compassion, which is kindness. And I would say there's a bunch of ways to treat yourself with kindness. And the two things I like to talk to readers and listeners about is in that chapter, I talk a lot about basic self-care, right? And one of the things I want to talk to people about is the idea that self-care is not self-improvement. Those are two different things, and I think we often get them confused. And we think self-care means we should start our new diet or go run a marathon or you know, read the latest self-help book or sign up for some self-improvement course. And that's important in our lives, right? That matters. I'm not saying that's not useful and it's not something we should pursue. Of course it is if it's right for you, but it's not the same thing as self-care. And the way I think about it is what would you do for a friend who was struggling? Like if you had a friend who was crying and they'd had a horrible parenting moment, they were really suffering, would you go over to their house and be like, oh, this is an amazing time to start organizing your house and you should totally sign up for this online class about how to declutter? You would not. You wouldn't be like, oh, if you only got more sleep at night, you would be a better parent. So here's this 10-step program for getting more sleep. Like, don't do that. You wouldn't do that to a friend. So don't do that to yourself. So in the book, I talk about self-care stuff. So my self-care, Zibby, here's what it looks like. A lot of romance books lately, right? So my, my reading, my free reading time is just juicy stuff that makes me feel warm and yummy inside. That's self-care for me. And I've decided that my family and I, we started this tradition at the start of the pandemic. I'm like, I want to end every day laughing. So as a family, we get together and we watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We've watched Parks and Rec. We've watched The Office. And we watch like two episodes of Bluey. So for all your listeners, do you know what Bluey is, Zibby? I don't. (gasps) I didn't know about it, what it was until like three months ago. It is a phenomenon. It's a preschool cartoon, a little animated series for like, little, little kids, preschoolers. And each episode is about five or six, seven minutes long. And it comes out of, I think, New Zealand, Australia. And it's about a family of dogs, mom and dad and Bluey and Bluey's little sister, Bingo. And it is hilarious. 
So my husband and I and our daughters, who are 12 and 13, are watching this cartoon for preschoolers every night, and we all love it because it leaves us laughing. Okay. All right. Like, Bluey on the list. Oh, my God. Blue. And it's just seven minutes of joy to inject, little okay. joy injection. But the biggest piece of self-care I want to leave people with is the idea of kind self-talk. This is like the ultimate kindness. So when you start practicing self-compassion, one of the things you're going to notice is that you talk to yourself like absolute shit. We all do. I, I, I used to say things to myself that I wouldn't say to my worst enemy. Like, I'm a horrible mother. I'm screwing up my kids. I am failing at the most important work in my life. I, I suck. I'm awful. Who says that? Well, a lot of us do, it turns out. And so what I encourage parents to do is just kind of flip that script. I'm not saying when you have a bad moment, you have to be like, I'm the best mother ever. You're not going to believe that. Like, nobody's the best mother ever. And that's not what we need. But what you can say is, wow, this is a really hard parenting moment. I'm having a bad day. And then you can go into curiosity. What do I need? Or you can go to your common humanity. Yeah, and parenting is hard for everyone, right? And the difference between I'm a shitty mother or I'm a shitty parent and I'm having a bad day, Mm -hmm. it feels like sort of a minor switch, but it's huge. It's like a world apart because I'm a shitty parent is like soul level judgment, right? You're just stuck. You're screwed. Yep. But like I'm having a bad day and parenting is hard for everyone is like, oh, this is a moment in time. And it's a moment in time that we all suffer and struggle with. And that feels so much easier. So I really go into the kind self-talk, which is so crucial. Here's when I needed the kind self-talk. Because <laughs> I think we're all so hard on ourselves too, right? When we're in the moment or whatever. I got back from a book event the other night and I had already felt bad that it ran late. And so I like rushed back before bedtime and they wanted my, I let the kids watch like an extra episode of whatever so that they could still be up when I got home. It wasn't that late. Yeah. It was still like 8.30 or something, but I didn't want to miss bedtime. And then we got home and I was starving because I hadn't eaten in like six hours or something crazy. So my husband had heated up some soup. And my daughter, it was time for her to go to bed. And I was like, you should, you go up to bed and like, I'll be up there in a few minutes, but I have to eat this soup. And she's like, no, no, I'll sit with you. And I was literally scooping up my soup. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad parent. I'm just like keeping them up because I had a book event and now I'm hungry and all this stuff. And literally my daughter looked at me and she's like, mom, you're eating soup. You're not a bad parent. (laughs) (laughs) We love I feel like that should be the title of the book. You're just eating soup. Yeah. You're just eating soup. Like what makes you like, no, it's fine. It's two minutes. Yeah. And I mean, look, so Zibi, you and I are in like parallel words world. So last night I came home from a book event. I was home late. My kids were already supposed to be asleep. Yep. And my, one of my kids is just having a hard time right now. And she Mm -hmm. wasn't asleep and she was having a really hard night. And I was, I could hear her like crying. And I was like, I need to go upstairs and be with my kid. I also have to eat. I'm so hungry. I'm going to like eat a horse. So I'm downstairs like shoving literally cheese and banana and nuts in my face, like instead of dinner, trying to get this food in because I know I'm not going to be useful to her if I'm starving because I'm such a cranky lady when I'm hungry. And then I go upstairs and I'm comforting my kid and I'm like, she's up way past her bedtime because she's having a hard time right now. I should have been home. And then I was like, you know what? Nope, I'm not going to do that. Like, and in that moment, I was like, I actually am so tired I don't have anything better to offer myself. I literally couldn't come up with anything better. So I was like, kiddo, we're just going to do a counting exercise to fall asleep. And that's what we did. I was like, we're going to start at 102 and we're going to subtract three. And she's like, 99. And I was like, what's minus three? That she's like, 96. And I, 
I just, I was like, all I know is she's sitting there mired in her yucky thoughts. Yep. I'm sitting here mired in my yucky thoughts. Yep. I actually can't get to a better place. So literally we're going to count because even counting is better than laying there feeling like crap. And that's what we did. I we like sat there that. for like five minutes just counting together and she calmed down and I calmed down and eventually we got to sleep. And then I woke up and everything feels so much better after you can get some sleep. Like don't, don't trust a tired brain. Never that's, trust that's the true. thoughts out of a tired brain. They're not helpful. It's true. I can see, it's so easy to see that with the people you love. Like anyone in the family, when they start acting, you know, snippy or cry or whatever. Like I, it's so obvious to me, like, oh, this is the person I love not acting like themselves because they are so tired. And yet when it's me, I, I don't see that as much. It's harder to identify, I think. Because when you get tired, your prefrontal cortex, this, and like the neuroscientists out there are going to be like, you're not exactly right. Okay, people, I'm close enough. When you get tired, your prefrontal cortex, which is this part of your brain right behind your forehead, the part that is reflective, and insightful and can think clearly about things. That's the part that shuts off. It's also the part of our brain that shuts off when we've been drinking alcohol, right? And so, or when we're overwhelmed with emotion. And so it's not that there's anything wrong with you, Zibi. It's that because when we are tired, our brain has developed to conserve its resources to the most important things like breathing and eating and kind of staying alive. And we don't have the resources to think on an advanced level and be insightful, which is why I am working so hard that when my husband says, are you tired or are you hungry? I try really hard not to bite his head off about it, which is my natural. No, of course not. And I try to just listen to him and like, I'm trying, I'm working. We've been married almost 19 years. We'll get there. Eventually I will start listening to him. Probably, Probably, probably I will. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe never. It's hard to know. I had a feeling this would all be amazing for me personally. <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. I, I do. I mean, I'm not, I'm kind of kidding, but I feel many times that I am just a proxy for everybody else, right? If I am feeling this, if you are feeling this, we are all feeling this. And I think that all is what you're trying to say in general, like when you, yeah. with your whole, I am not the only one who, so I'm hoping that by sharing my parenting fails or not fails or whatever. And your sharing yours makes everybody else feel better. I particularly love, I'm not a bad parent. I'm having a bad day. Like that is so, that's a great mantra, like to put on the bulletin board, to repeat, to remember in the worst of times. So I love the idea that you said, remember, and that's part of the practice. And look, when adults use the word practice, we generally mean a thing you do, like a medical practice. You do medical stuff, right? Yep. And what I mean is, A thing that you start doing and it's hard and doesn't go easily and feels uncomfortable and you can't come up with the words and you don't really know how to do it and you have to consult the book and blah, blah, blah. But if you keep doing it, it gets easier and you get better at it. And when I first started doing the Zibi, I was like, what am I supposed to say to myself? This was probably, you know, eight years ago. And now I don't have shitty mom thoughts anymore. I don't have those. Am I a significantly better parent than I was eight years ago? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I'm pretty similar in my parenting, but parenting feels a little bit easier because I no longer think of myself as a shitty parent. And it took years of practice to get there, but that's not that's not a narrative that's in my brain anymore. But man, it was there with a vengeance for a long time until I really started practicing. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Carla. This has been so great. I always love talking to you. You always re- frame things in a way that makes life feel a little bit easier and better. And that's a real gift. So thank you. 
Well, thank you, Zibby, and thank you for everything you do for parents and authors and women and people on this planet. You make the world a better place, and we are <laughs> grateful you. for it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. This oh, was so Zibby, fun. <laughs> I always love talking to you, and if there's ever anything I can do to be supportive of you and all your endeavors, I am delighted to do it. Thank you. And me for all you. Right. Okay. Take care. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 